Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. As you can tell from a distinct lack of mouth breathing, Stan <laughs> is not here this week. Jim, he's bottled it after the big result for the, the city boys at the weekend. Yeah, he's absolutely bottled it. Much like some of his beloved Man United players at the FCL on the weekend, you could say. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking, we've had a distinct lack of mouth breathing a few times in this podcast, so I think it's time we get the yellow and red cards out. Ooh! Maybe, maybe Debon for a punishment. Mm, definitely. I think that's something we could sort out. This is a democracy cook and he's not here, so really we could do what we want. Yeah, we actually can. Fuck him, lad. <laughs> but we don't want to speak ill of someone who's not actually here, but, but fuck Stan anyway. Put it out there. And <laughs> fuck Man United. Jim, City batted him. Thank God. Yeah. For the first time in my lifetime in the Premier League era, tell us if we're wrong, listeners. I've never seen a double hat-trick. Feel like we are. I feel like there was one man left to beat Southampton 9 0. Was there not two hat-tricks there? Was it Perez and like Vardy, maybe, or something? I'll have to Vardy. We'd have to fact check that. Um, but yeah, either way, it was, it was something that, like, obviously, City are the much better side. That's, I don't think you'll find many people who disagree with that. Um, but you still wouldn't have expected the level of dominance. Um, yeah, just where I carry on, he was present, but they both scored a hat-trick in that 9-0. Yeah, and the one before um, that was Jermaine Pennant and Robert Perez against Southampton in 2003. I've just checked. Southampton, the whipping boys? Hell, they are <laughs> shit. Yes. But yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like what Pep does really well with the City team, actually, which maybe goes a bit unnoticed, is it in the big games... You never, re- you never really see City just like miles off it, like not coming out of the traps early or anything like that. They, they kind of start as they mean to go on. Yeah, in the second half, he was walking a bit, but I mean, he was 4 up in the 43rd minute. Um, and yeah, City were brilliant. We could have scored even more in that first half. I think the, the a real precedent for the game was set in the first minute when Jack Grealish, who hasn't got many of the plaudits from Sunday, from Saturday, yeah, it was Sunday, sorry. Uh, from Sunday because of Foden and Haaland in the front three getting at tricks. But I thought Grealish was excellent and when he skipped round Dallow and got an early yellow card for the right back, it was kind of just curtains for him because we were just absolutely killing him on the left-hand side. I think um, Tenag switched Anthony over to the right because he just wasn't helping Dallow and when you're not helping your fullback is on a yellow against the likes of like Grealish, Bernardo, Foden and even Haaland was drifting sometimes. It was just impossible to defend. It was a matter of time. It was really a matter of how many goals City were going to score in that first half. It was it was so one-sided. United had a few chances to actually counter, um, but they just kind of kind of just forced it, kind of just knocked balls through. Hopelessly, there was no real. I don't know. We've seen them do better than at the SN than than they did on Sunday, counter-attacking wise, um, which is obviously good for City because they had Rodri out and they started with Kanji and Ake at the back for the first time. So we've gunned one in front of them too. I actually thought there's something to be added to to be, to be got out there really there's three players who in that triangle haven't actually played together for City yet um, so that was interesting it was, it was good for us that we got an early lead and United didn't really cause any any 
problems, really. Edison was just doing nothing, but mostly. But, but we'll talk about the inevitable man. I mean, we spoke about him before, and he's got three hat-tricks, for God's sake, in three home games. How good, like, like, how good is he? He's a freak, lad. And we, we were speaking about it pre-season, and... I said he's different. He is different. He's cut from a different cloth, a cloth perhaps we've never seen before for a number nine. And they talk about R9 as the phenomenon. I think this guy's the phenomenon. I think he's obviously worth every every penny that City paid for him. And they got him at about a third of market value, which is incredible that Dortmund... Yeah. It's, it's unreal from City. And just like... You think about it in your head, the day they sign Haaland, and as a City fan, even not as a City fan, you want the best players in the league. Well, I do personally, because Iron Sharpens Iron, and that makes all the other teams like, Jesus Christ, we need to keep up now. But you think, Jesus, Foden to Haaland, De Bruyne to Haaland, Mahrez to Haaland. Like, you think of all this stuff, and he's just doing it. All his goals are yeah. in the middle of the middle of the box as well. It's It's a proper poacher. I love it. Well, you messaged me, didn't you, out of through the game and you were just saying about how, how it was something that everybody knew was going to happen. Like, as soon as they signed Haaland, I think everybody just first thought with this part that City team and how it would pan out is fucking hell, them De Bruyne crosses that goal like past everyone and like usually got for a, like a goal pick or a throw in or something. Haaland's just going to eat them all up. And that second goal that Haaland scored, I mean, the, for one, the cross wasn't even on. No one even seen that cross as a thing other than De Bruyne and maybe even Haaland but you just put it into space and he's just like, he's just a freak. He just attacks it. He's just, he's too big. He's too quick. He's never offside, which is ridiculous. I mean, he doesn't have to be because he's so quick. And then even his first goal was maybe even scarier. I know it's just a simple edit from a corner, but the fact he's scoring all these kinds of goals, but then he can score these simple ones like Andy Carroll can score from six yards out, like, because he just dominates people in the air. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you see when City play a big game. I've seen Carragher do a column like, his advice on how you would stop him. But is there a way to stop him? I think that the thing you've got to do to even attempt to stop him, you've got to hope that, one, Man City are off it, two, that he, he personally is off it for whatever reason, and then you've got half a chance because he's putting up numbers we've never seen before. He's the first player to ever score back-to-back-to-back hat-tricks in home games. It's mental. And the guy, like I've said, I can't think of enough nice things to say about him because he's such a good player and he makes you he's genuinely one of those players that makes you want to go out and play football like he's that he's that good and he makes it look so easy and he's so fast and he's so big it's going to be so hard to stop him but I feel like physicality is probably the way to go you'll have to double up on him that's that's what you're going to have to do you're going to have to double up on him and and still I think he's probably half the favourite in in those challenges against two people because he's so streetwise at using his body and that frame, if he gets in front of you, it's game over. It is game over. Try and foul him. You can try, but it's not going to happen. He's going to score. He wants to score more than he wants to win a penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think like um, I always think like when we're talking this way about a certain player, you might think you might be like delving into the realm and just like, overrating him and just being just being saying stupid things, but I don't know if we are. I mean, the only game no, he's not scored not. in this season, <laughs> the only game he's not scored in this season was with Bournemouth at home. And watching that game, <laughs> Bournemouth 
put three centre-backs and two defensive midfielders in front of him. And literally had five, like, cakes around him. And I think he had, it was a game where he had, like, nine touches. He ended up getting an assist and he made the first goal anyway. Uh, um, but what if you if you go back and watch that game, or watch the goals at least, you just notice there's a De Bruyne goal where everyone's not even going towards him because three people are marking Haaland. So if you sacrifice so much to mark him, then City have just got De Bruyne, Foden, Bernardo, Grealish, Mares, anyway. So you can't even do that. I think I honestly think at this point it's an injury. There's the only thing that's going to stop him from scoring and breaking the records. Like genuinely, I know he's got it in him as well. But yeah, he's just he can't be stopped. And there's a stat going round, and obviously it's it's just an unprecedented thing by scoring back to back to back hat tricks, like you just said. But we all remember how good Luis Suarez was, like one of the greatest ever Premier League strikers. Like I think he's in everyone's top five. It took him 71 games. It took Haaland eight. Haaland is, ha- ha- is nine goals off last year's Golden Boot winner, and he's got 30 games left. That is silly, that. He's, like I said, he's, he's, he's a ridiculous player. He's on in a ridiculous six, team. 66 league goals. Uh, how, many, how many goals? How many goals to the end this, end this season? And let's have a bit of a prediction. He's not, he's on, he's not going to get 66. He is on course for it. But like, what, what will he realistically get? <laughs> At the start of the season, I said twenty-eight. <laughs> I said twenty-eight. <laughs> so, so I'm uh, I'm gonna have to push those numbers a little bit. You know what? I say thirty-eight. I say thirty-eight in the league. He, just in the league. Yeah, yeah. You know, it could happen. I mean, he could have twenty-eight by his World Cup, the World Cup. Yeah, easily. <laughs> you could have me fucked. I, <laughs> I played. Um, I played. I've obviously I'm playing like an FM save at the minute, and like two years ago on it, City won the league, and they got Haaland in it, and Haaland scored. What was it like? It was like 52 league goals. I remember seeing him thinking, "Fuck me, that's just unrealistic, isn't it?" But he could get 52 this year. Could get more. You genuinely could. FM have underrated it. I was thinking when City was making all them subs, I was like, "Don't you dare sub in Pep." And then he subbed Foden straight away. I was like, thank God he just got an hat-trick. We've not even spoken about him. We've been gushing about Haaland. And let's gush about someone who I, I genuinely believe is England's next biggest talent since Wayne Rooney. And that's Phil Foden. I, I think every game he looks better and better and better. Especially now because he's digging in because he's not started the season particularly well. And that's what I mean by every game he looks better in in terms of either even if he personally isn't having a great game. Similar to Haaland, dangerous players attract a lot of bodies and he's a dangerous player. And he's working his way now with Mares not really being able to get in the team as that right winger that drifts inside and creates a lot of problems playing those wall passes and a hat-trick against Man United in, in the Manchester derby. And prior to this game, he hadn't even scored in, in a derby and he'd, he'd played in quite a few in quite a few really good team so yeah Phil Foden Jim what more can you say yeah well those City fans love him obviously being a local lad being a City fan uh, since he was like nine years old um, I was actually driving home like about half an hour ago listening to talks but um, Noel Gallagher was on um, he does chat a lot of shit but I mean he did mention something about Phil when they asked him about Phil Foden and he said Listen, I mean, there's, you've got your De Bruyne's and your Aguero's and your companies who've got the statues, but come the end of the career, um, let's say, I, I think Bill Foden is probably on course to be the most decorated City player ever. And he, he's spot on. Um, Foden's got 50 Premier League, 
50 City goals now. He's got four Premier League medals. He's won an FA Cup. He's won four League Cups. He's won two Community Shields. He's been a runner-up in the Champions League and he's 22 and he's not even at his prime yet. I mean, he could end, he could realistically end his career on 10 Premier League which he would go down as one of the all-time greats and definitely City's most decorated player by a country mile. Yeah, and you forgot to add on that lovely list a bumper new contract that he's recently put in pen to paper to. Yeah, well, that's important to say, like you just mentioned, um, with Mara's not kind of looking. I know he did recently get a contract extension, but that looks a bit weird to me anyway. But I mean, when you look at City, yeah, City's front three now to me is just... It's got to be Foden, isn't it? Every single time. Whatever you do with the other side, or it's Grealish or Bernardo, you put Foden on the right. It's Foden, Haaland, and they've not even really had that chance to develop a big connection yet, really. And this is how they started, so we'll see how good they do get. Yeah, it's and like you said, because of these two playing so well, players are going to get looked over. Just like, like you said, Edison had absolutely nothing to do. Gundogan was fantastic in this game dictated everything in that holding midfield role in that six and just like like you said with Rodri being injured he's such an enforcer for City in such a physical game where I was like hang on why is Casemiro not starting here because is this not why you've bought him and yeah, like, I, I was so confused I, I thought in the big away games I thought that's where Casemiro come in I kind of get what he's done with him like because like, McTominay's kind of just run around for 70 minutes and then Casemiro kind he of was rubbish in this game he was rubbish. Yeah, Casemiro's kind of come on and held a 1-0 win. But I mean, away in a big game against a team like City, I don't know, you kind of need that experience to be in there. Because United kind of just, he was losing the foot in the game. He was kind of, he was a bit naive in it and City would just dominate. He could have done with Casemiro to, I don't know, just kick someone and just like say, listen here, come on, we're in fucking Derby here. But yeah. I mean, I, I guess he'll learn from that and um, Stan was saying to me, I know he's not here, but he, he was saying that I think they'll learn from not playing Ericsson in the in that kind of role against an away team like City. I mean, it has worked out for him in previous games. He was amazing at home against Arsenal when he won that one, but he didn't really offer too much against City. He kind of got run around and didn't really break up the play. So that's not his game. Um, one player quickly, I, just, I do want to get your thoughts on a little bit just before we move on to uh, speaking about another team is Mamali Kanji since he's come in for City. He was a weird signing, a weird, weird signing. Like deadline day, no one saw him coming. He's been immense. He's he's, he's been City's best centre half easily since he signed. Yeah, honestly, with with being genuinely fourth choice centre back with the injury record at Man City, when you sign that contract, you go, "I'm going to get some games here." That's why I'm not asked about going because you look at the port. He's been out injured, come back. He looked a bit shaky when he come back, but bearing in mind he's been he's been out for a bit. Stones always gets injured. Prior to that, it was company. Like the, the Otamendi would always get injured as well. The point is City centre. Yeah, the point is City centre backs always get injured. And I don't know why, because <laughs> they have a lot of the ball. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I digress. But Akanji has been class and I don't watch Switzerland nor do I try and convince anyone that I do but by all accounts on Twitter when I've been checking stuff out prior to this they're all buzzing over him saying how well he's playing he's looking since he's genuinely been around the city the complex even just around city football group and just around that that campus playing with these better players 
he's already looking like he's carrying himself different and that's only good for that player in his development because Dortmund don't they don't buy bums and they don't develop bums and he plays all the time and he'll get some licks in here and so far obviously he's shown to Pep listen you can put me in an am plug and play so let's see if it continues because from what I've seen really like the lad and it was absolutely no money at all to bring him into the club was it no, he's an absolute bag. He was one of them signings that even if it's horrendous, no one will even question it because it was fifteen million and that's pocket change at this trade for anyone, let alone Man City. And um, yeah, I think I think the um, the fact that he had a question whether to start Diaz or Ake, and he kind of started Diaz, which surprised many. And it wasn't injury that the fact that Kanji was just like already just like yeah, Kanji's playing. It's it's not a case of that. Uh, Diaz was a massive, he's been a massive player for us, and Diaz is immense himself. But I think Akanji's pace is really helping City, and I think he's more comfortable on the ball than a few of them. Um, I think Stones and Laporte are like two of the world's best, like how comfortable on the ball. But Akanji looks right up there, and he's, he's only going to get better at City. But he is rapid as well. We've seen it when um, him and Edison kind of made a bit of a mince meet of like, I don't know what he was doing. I think he just whacked one back to Edison, and Edison kept it in randomly. Well, he had a little spring with Rashford and then kind of got the almost before him and then just knocked Rashford to the floor and you thought, that oh, physicality, that, he's going to fit right in this league. Welcome back, Cookie Pod listeners. It is that time of the week. That music only means one thing. It means get your betting apps at the ready and listen to this because I'm going to win you a lot of money. So listen up. So we're going to start off with three o'clock, Stamford Bridge, Chelsea versus manager Les Wolves. More on that later. They're out to be. So moving on. Etihad Stadium, Manchester City versus Southampton. We're going to go Man City to nil in this one when they entertain the Saints. Then we're going to go over to the northeast, Newcastle United versus Brentford. We're just going to go straight Newcastle winning this one. Brentford, unfortunately, had a bit a nil-nil the other day where they definitely should have won. And last but not least, Brighton versus Tottenham. We're going to go just both teams to score in this one. So, recapping back the week. I've got Chelsea versus Wolves, so we've gone Chelsea win and under 2.5. City versus Southampton, I've gone Man City to win to nil. Newcastle versus Brentford, just Newcastle straight win in that one. And then Brighton versus Tottenham at the Amex, I've gone both teams to score. And Jim, what can the listeners do with that? They can shove it at the Rackers. Right, welcome back, Cookie Podcast listeners. Um... We're going to talk about Liverpool and Brighton now, aren't we, Cook? Um, there's a new manager in Woo. town in Brighton, in deserve it, and what a result and what performance he got in his first game. I mean, it's not an easy feat going to Anfield on your first time in the Premier League. One of these managers that doesn't know nothing, a foreigner, Cook, that doesn't know the league, what does he know? And uh, they go nothing. to Liverpool, and really, they, they, they could have won. I mean, let's talk about much of an impressive performance that is for Brighton before we go on to Liverpool. I mean, how good were, were they and how good was Trossard? Yeah, Trossard is really twerking for Graham Potter to say, sign me, Graham. <laughs> Take me with you, Graham. Because since he's left, he's genuinely been class. And credit to Leandro Trossard. Since the start of the season, he's been unreal for Brighton and just shows where they are. And they're, they're there on merit. The table doesn't lie. And they're currently sitting fourth. If the season ended tomorrow, they'd be in the Champions League. I mean, that's highly wow. unlikely, but... But 
I mean, three all at Anfield. It's not often one Liverpool score three at home and don't win, and two Brighton scoring three at Anfield and not winning. It's absolutely mental. But credit where credit's due. Like I said, Trossard putting in a proper stint in for them. Liverpool lackluster again, again, and clopping in the week. I, I, I'm going to sound like I hate Trent here because we speak about it a lot because it's such a hot topic. But he was at fault for at least one of these goals, and. To be honest with you, Klopp came out at the end and just said, we're working on it in regards to his defending. And I think he almost like give in to a point and said, we're working on it because he's always defended Trent to a point. I don't know what you think about that, Jim. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, he does sound kind of like we're beating a dead horse here. But I mean, all the pressure was on Trent. Um, I mean, just go and watch the goals. Go and watch all three Brighton goals. Where did they come from? From Trent's side. The first one, I mean... Watch him on the first one. Just, just. I think if you're one of these people who still thinks there's a defender there in Trent, I mean, there's definitely a player there. He's a, he's a let's get it right. He's a world class player on his day, and he has been for the past five years or whatever it is. But defensively, he's got zero awareness. And watch some of the goals that people can see. Don't watch the ball. Just watch what Trent does, and then you realise what everyone else is seeing. Um, you tell me why he's on the floor when Trossard scores that first one, and, and I don't get it. I. Some of the goals too is just jogging back and walking back. I think I don't want him to beat a player, but when he's doing that, I think that's unforgivable. Um, I don't yeah. believe in his attitude is that good. Um, I think it's going to get to a point. Cup. What do you think? Well, Klopp's going to have to do something. He's going to have to drop him, or he's going to have to put him into midfield because they've been getting away with it for a few years. By obviously, I get what Klopp's been saying. Were he gives so much going forward, you can kind of sacrifice that. I get that because that's worked for four years now, whatever it is. But this season, it's a massive weakness and the midfield is a massive weakness. So is that an option? It's it's most definitely an option, but I think Klopp's pretty set in his ways. I've Since he's been at Liverpool, you, you remember, Jim, during the pandemic and even after the pandemic, Liverpool were riddled with injuries. And he was playing Fabinho at centre-back with Nat Phillips. And he never went to a back three or anything then when systemically it probably would have helped. And I'm thinking if he's not going to do it then, he ain't going to change it now. And I think he's going to go down with his ship like a like a good captain. And um, I, I, I don't know how this ends for, for Liverpool or Klopp, whether he walks or that they sack him. But he's got a lot of good grace in the bank. But... I feel like he needs to change the system. It's gone stale. It happens. It's it, Football works in cycles. Everyone who watches it for a prolonged period of time will tell you that. And Liverpool are no different. There's no anomaly in this. It, it always happens. They've lost a big player in Mane, which I think a lot of Liverpool fans just brushed off the shoulder when they saw the shiny new toy in Darwin Nunes, who's had a, a complete yin and yang start to his time at Anfield. And, I think, again, there's a player in there. But going back to what you said regarding Trent, I think with Klopp, he's already kind of moving the pieces with Trent of dropping him completely because there'd be 60 minutes on the clock and he'd sub him for Milner. And that's this season. That That's already this season. And Milner's playing the last half an hour. And I've been watching footy with, with Dunny and other Liverpool fans and they've been like, why is Milner on here? Why has Trent been hooked? The game I remember top of my head, the Fulham game. I remember that happening then, and I was like, "Why? Why is that happening? Half an hour left. You need a goal. You're taking your best attacking outlet in terms of crossing the ball off. I don't get it." No, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, teams get figured out. Um, like you're saying, Klopp does need to 
to do something because he's, he's done zero this season for me. When you watch Liverpool, he's not going to tactical surprise in anyone. I mean, it's quite embarrassing to hear Klopp say on the weekend that they couldn't prefer, prepare for Brighton because they didn't know what they'd do. That's quite embarrassing. It's not. It's not really a joke, really. I mean, if I was a Liverpool fan, I was listening to my manager say that. I'd be thinking, like, if that wasn't Klopp, that was like Sam Allardyce saying that. Did you see Bruce at that Newcastle? I said, yeah, I just didn't know what he was going to do. I mean, like, it's your job. <laughs> like, deserve it. Been going around a long time. I'm sure you can have the. I don't like how you use Bruce like. as that example. Like, he's not but, a goal manager. I'm, well, no. <laughs> I, I was just trying to think of. I was trying to think of my manager who gets pellers in the press. Like I know, I know what you mean though. Like if it was if it was Steve McLaren, like like if it was Steve McLaren, he said that. Yeah, he was. Manchester Solskjaer said that something United. I just didn't know what Pep was going to do today. Well, even Gerard. No one knows. Imagine if Gerard says that. Oh, he don't know anything. He's he don't know nothing. He can't manage a team. It's stupid and it's it's naive and it's 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 bitch behaviour from Klopp. That I hate it. You're one of the best managers in the world. You you win some, you lose some. Everyone knows that. But they're all all the ones that are on the verge of greatness. Klopp, Pep, Mourinho, etc. They're all a bit mental. Where they're like, when they lose, <laughs> yeah. it's like the world's about to end tomorrow, <laughs> and they're and they're not uh, as and everything. Yeah, you kind of think. Do they just say the most stupid things on purpose? Like, maybe they do. Maybe it's, to, maybe, maybe it's to deflect, but I mean, it isn't deflecting. I don't think it's ever worked because we're still satisfied like how bad they were. Off. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, he's taken four years or five years. My timeline isn't great with when Klopp was there to figure him out. But I mean, you could argue this season they've been figured out. Every team kind of knows what they're doing now. But yeah, I don't know why he needs to change something, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. Klopp and Liverpool, like like we said on the other week on the pod, it could genuinely be they play Rangers midweek. It's a weird game that for Liverpool, and I don't know what they're going to do. They play in a different league. Maybe I'll say something like that because uh, they play up in Scotland. But like I said the other week, it could be a possibility where Liverpool don't get the top four and they find themselves in the Europa League before the World Cup starts. Mad. Yeah, the, the early predictions they could, but with. Um... Weirdly, a game we're not about well, with Arsenal being Spurs pretty long. I mean, that was an Auckland and Derby. It's just been kind of one of them weekends. But Spurs look like they're shooting for top four. I know they got beat, but I mean, just how they've got the manager they've got, the pragmatism they've got. They're not going to lose many games, you don't think? No. Arsenal don't really look like slowing down. Um, I think they've been brilliant. I mean, I know United didn't, but to do beat, beat Spurs in the way they did in the weekend and kind of like the consistency they've shown this season. They look like a top four side. I mean, City are a top four side, obviously. There's one spot left, and Chelsea are getting better. United, I know they just got beat 6 3, but I mean, they, was, they just had to play them up and manage them up in September. They won like four games in the spin. Liverpool have got already a big distance to catch up. Is there a possibility they don't finish top four? Yeah, it's a, it's a proper, <laughs> it's really realistic that Liverpool don't get in the top four because. You've got teams, and I know this sounds like a bit strange, but you've got Newcastle, who I'm not saying they're going to get in the top four, but they're, they're a much harder prospect than they've ever been. Newcastle, and they're getting better. They're another team that are getting better, and they Brighton. have won. Yeah, Brighton as well. Like 
there's other teams with their own aspirations and Liverpool, they currently sit ninth with a game in hand, but it's another thing is players come back from the World Cup, your team doesn't win the World Cup, players are a bit dejected, it's mid-season, you've just lost the World Cup and you've got to get yourself going. The amount of players that Liverpool will have at that tournament in comparison to your, to your Newcastles, to your Brightons, to etc. And that can play a factor for a potentially a crucial part in the season. And Liverpool, a team that pick up bare injuries, that could that could fuck them up because there's nine games in October for them, and it averages one. Every, I think it's one every three days. So, gotta get that beefy squad to use, Jurgen. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners. Unfortunately, we've got some sad news. We've got another participant in the sack race who has actually crossed the finish line. So. The winner of the sack race is Bruno Large. He's the latest winner, Jim. He's left Wolves not on his own accord. <laughs> He's been bitten by the Wolves. And the week Diego Costa comes in, Bruno Large goes out. So is Diego Costa going to be player manager at Wolves? That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see it, honestly. <laughs> I really enjoyed his cameo on Saturday. Same, bad. Uh, he looks like, I know we're going to, we're to talk about Bruno last year, but he looks like he's lost a yard or at least five. <laughs> yeah, I found a tub of Pringles or five. <laughs> because when he set up that goal, he had to fucking set up about five minutes earlier get that ball like, when he was offside. It just made me laugh. I just thought, prime deal Costa, that's like an easy goal. But yeah. Anyway, we digress. Uh, yes, Bruno Large. And honestly, we seen, I think I've seen this one coming a little bit. Um, Six to one. Yeah, six to one. I remember I actually put it in the group. I've said he'll be gone soon. Him, they, they just he just don't score. And I mean, it's, that's something he's tried to address this season by going four three three and not playing that five back like Ernest Burris Santo used to play. Um, it's not worked, and I know we might see him like they're not doing the worst in the world. Like they're not like in the actually they might be in the relegation zone, but it's always very early on. But this quality that team has, that should be a top ten team. Like. They're 18th. But yes, they're at the Arbat. They've had dropped in with West Ham probably coming out on Saturday night. But yeah, the quality they've got, they've got some unbelievable players. And you never some Paulinia. Neto, Pudence is a good player. You just signed Guedes from Valencia. Hillman, Simeon, Sarr is one of the better keepers in the league. Um, it should be doing so much better. And I read a start cook that since. Um, he goes since April or since like since April or since like March or something. They scored less Premier League goals than Burnley, who have been relegated for a while now. That's <laughs> I weird. Mean, they're just not putting the ball in the net. No, they're not. And I think it's it's half the organisation's fault in terms of recruitment, but it's also half sheer as a. <laughs> Professor McGonagall would say, sheer dumb luck. <laughs> and um, it's it's bad luck in this case that obviously what happened to Raul Jimenez happened to him and he was banging in the goals for Wolves at that point and everything looked really rosy up that part of the pitch for them. He, he genuinely looked like a new player. I remember I was speaking on the podcast about Stan saying that he looks a completely different player from his time at Atletico Madrid and he looks like a player playing with confidence and obviously he got that that devastating injury. It's all you can really say it is. It is devastating. And it's hard to replace those goals and they, they have struggled with it. And 
Like, that's what I mean. It's 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 bad luck that they've had to bring in, and I love Diego Costa, but they've had to panic and bring in Diego Costa on on a on a deal till the end of the season where he had to do a trial. And I just think that it's it's very it's very tin pot for a team who since they've been in the Premier League have been run very well and been very consistent and they've been consistent at the back. That's not been the problem, like we've already said. It's drying up at the, the other end of the pitch and they should be scared. I mean, I genuinely think, because I don't know who they're going to get. Like, off the top of my head, I don't know who they're going to get. But at this moment in time, seven, eight games in, Wolves are relegation fodder. Yeah, they are. And the, what, what's kind of worrying for them is the teams around them who are struggling up a lot is um, two teams that play tonight, obviously Leicester and Forest. Obviously Forest is, is a massive, like, kind of like a special team. There. And I mean, the turnaround they look this season is going to be hard for them to stay up low. But Leicester, as bad as they look going back, I always look at them teams down the bottom and think if they can score, they've got half a chance. And Leicester can score in any game. It doesn't matter how bad they are. They can they can ship six in any game the way they're going, but they can score in any game because they've got that quality and they actually bomb players forward and they've always played attacking style of football. So really, even how bad Leicester have been, I'd have Leicester over Wolves now. Like if they was to play, I would yeah. fancy a team that is going to be on the front foot more than a team that's just toothless. And yeah, Wolves might be hard to break down, but if you can't score, then you're not going to win any games. It's just, it's like it's literally as simple as that. There's no need to overthink it, and it's. Bruno Lage's job to get a click out of this team, which is definitely good enough, and, and that's why he's been sacked. So it's it's rightly so. Yeah. As for, as for the replacements, Cook, yeah, I don't know who they're going to get. I feel like it's going to be one of these names that we've not really seen that much. And yeah. He's probably well, a Mendes agent. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, do you think it'll be a, a Portuguese appointment? Because I've got the odds in front of me, and I'll, I'll do the first five or so. So we've got Ruben uh, Amarin. I've, I can't lie, I've never heard of the guy. But by all accounts, he's the Sporting Lisbon manager. And he's 5-4 to four currently to be the next Wolves boss. And then shortly after him, you've got um, Julian Lopetegui at fours, current Sevilla manager. And then you've yeah, got Pedro. struggling as well. Yeah, then you've got Pedro Martins, who I'll be honest, I don't know who that is. And then eight to one, a blast from the past, Andre Villas Boas, and that is genuinely because he's Portuguese. <laughs> it has to be. And then, <laughs> and then just the last two, both ten to one, joint fifth, Paulo Fonseca, who people know from his time in Europe with, I believe, Roma. Yeah. And uh, Sean Dyche, ten to one as well, sharing the spoils. Well, that- both ten to one. You want your team to score goals, then I mean, Sean Dice is a great manager for me. Maybe not the choice if that's what you're going for. Yeah, similar philosophies, <laughs> keeping it tight at the back. Yeah, but um, you'd love to see Dicey with Costa, wouldn't oh, you? Oh, cool. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Dicey full stop. I mean, but with Costa, yeah, that's just a that's a treat. Bonus. That's a treat. Um, Ashley Barnes with Costa, get him in. We're going to go on to a team that the maybe they, maybe they'll have managed by this game, but I mean, just before we do, Cookie, you want a little bit of info, a little bit. Of, I'll drop a bomb here. I'll have some, I'll have some information on um, the next Bournemouth manager. 
I mean, by now it's not as big of a secret as it was about three days ago when he was tempted to on and I couldn't put it on because Bain got suspended. But Chris Wilder is going to be there for mind you. Bless his post today at Borough. And yeah, that's inside info for you, Cookie Podcast listeners. Hashtag that might be wild. useless by the time this comes out because it might have already happened. Things Use the hashtag. In the... Wild for Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Beyonce. Um, Chris, obviously. Obviously, Mr. Chris. Who's going to fight between them two? Let us know in the comments. Defo Chris Wilder. <laughs> um, cut. Bruno Large's left the building. Someone might come in, someone might not. But next game, as kind of preempted on the bet of the week, which we've all got on your ass by now, you had plenty of chance. Wolves versus Chelsea and Hoppers men didn't start that quick by not winning the Champions League, but they've got the first league win under the belt and the late drama from Conor Gallagher, of course it was. You've always got to think of the narrative in this game. What a strike it was. And a good result, really. I don't think... I know you just won it at the end of the game there, Cork, but I will beg you up a bit there. Away at Sellers Park, I think it's one of the harder pictures of the league season. And three points from that, you can't argue with it. Yeah, I mean, we, we played really well in this game. Palace, they scored a goal. Fafana made a mistake quite early. But credit to Fafana, he grew into the game and he was really good from the mistake onwards. So credit to him. Yeah, we went 1-0 down and showed good character in a place where, like you said, it's not easy to come back. You, the atmosphere at Sellers Park, it's it's intimidating. It is. You're so close to the fans. They've got good home fans. And like I said, it's it's like playing at Anfield. It's like playing at St. James's. It's like playing at any of these stadiums. And they get behind you. So going to go down there and winning is no mean feat by, by anyone. Arsenal played there, won 2-0, I believe, quite early on. I think it was opening day, actually. Um, and then everyone, everyone was saying how well they played and they stifled Palace. And it, the same happened here. Two very good performances against a potential banana skin. And and it's not an easy game at all. And and yeah, the strike, Gallagher, is, uh, it, it's, it is what it is. It's mental. It, as soon as you come on, you was like, no way. Like, nah, <laughs> nah, no way. <laughs> kind of redeeming himself because the last time he played in the league was the game got sent off. Yeah, yeah, sent off in the first half at Leeds. And he, he was in goal-scoring form for the under-21s as well, um, in the international break. Yeah, um, A player that Chelsea could definitely utilise this season, a brilliant player that I, 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 I would put a lot of money on Palace fans watching that would have thought I wish he was still at this club this season. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's also, I was, really, I was listening that it was a team that, weirdly, Graham Potter's been so good at Brian, but Crystal Palace have always had the better of Graham Potter. Uh, Graham Potter um, so he'll be glad himself and what have you seen in Chelsea over these two or three games that Potter has had I think he's maybe the only two now They're different to what Tuchel's style did because I mean you played with a four back didn't you on the weekend yeah we played we played 4-2-3-1 uh, sorry uh, we, well kind of we we played 4-2-3-1 slash 4-2-2 we started off in a 4 triple 2 which I feel like you're seeing a different Kai Havertz at the moment, which 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 I like. You're almost seeing like a a re a reemergence of Kai that he's not playing up front and he doesn't have the burden of because he wasn't bought to be the goal scorer and he's had that burden on him ever since he's been at the club due to a lack of a number nine on 
And I think that you're seeing more creativity out of him and that in turn helps the team anyway because that's less of a burden on Mason Mount. And it's good to see that Sterling and him were swapping because Sterling started up front with Aubameyang in this one and that was that that was nice. I like that. And then throughout the game, Havertz and Sterling were constantly swapping. Aubameyang and Havertz were constantly swapping and just kept them guessing. And I like that. And we started off with a back three against uh, Salzburg. So... Potter, I think if if you know Graham Potter, you know he's a versatile manager, and and Chelsea have a lot of versatile players who can do a multitude of things, and it's um it's quite telling so far that he's not actually started Kalidou Koulibaly in any of his two games, back three in the first game, and uh, he opted for a thirty eight year old Thiago Silva in this one with Fafana, but yeah, happy with this game. Like you said, it's really hard place to go, especially when this is a, a team that's. It is being rebuilt and it's never easy when you've got a new manager, but the only way we'll get better is playing games and we've got enough of them this month. So what did you think of Chelsea and what did you think of the game all in all? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was good. I think you're right about Kai Abbott's. I think another player that has started really slowly and the new for England fans, Mason Mammel, to be on it as well. Um, yeah. And I think he can definitely benefit from Potter. I mean, he maybe needed some fresh ideas. Um, that maybe that's why he was struggling early on this season. He didn't look himself. And I think he's one of Chelsea's most important players. And just thinking about you saying there with, with Potter putting a Bemiang and Sterling next to each other up front, two players obviously that he might start up front, but a very, very comfortable interest in our wide. So it's not like a very narrow system. And then you've got the runners and habits and mount to get in the box if needed. Um, but also a bit of pace and that's what every team could do with um, Sterling and Bermianga really quick players and they score a lot of goals so yeah. that bodes well and and yeah um, I think Chelsea are going to be a best to watch this season I'm I'm really excited for Potter himself as well I mean I hope he does really well it's just I think everyone likes Potter at this point I mean what he's done from his career and how well he's done at Brighton with the kind of Things he's had to deal with a lot of his players leaving. Now he's got he's in a situation finds himself in a situation where he can keep all these players and he can actually attract them. We spoke about Trossard before and Trossard has literally openly said that he wants to go to play for Graham Potter. That must be really good to win because he's not got the kind of calibre Shit of the rest of the tops. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean <laughs> Potter must know that when he looks at the other six managers in the top six, maybe Barata that they're kind of guys that can just attract players just by name alone. I mean, people want to play for Pep, Klopp, Conte, for example, and Tenag. So, Potter to start building that up himself is um, is really good. And I think with the Koulibaly thing, I, I think that may be just... Koulibaly's a brilliant player and I think he's in Chelsea's best team. Uh, I think maybe when he he's... Is. When Potter's just kind of coming into Chelsea and kind of trying to develop his system, you don't want to do too much at once. So you're not going to throw out Thiago Silva straight away because he, he's kind of the level-headed one in that team. He's missed consistent. He's always been so good. You never kind of watch Chelsea and think, but you now Thiago Silva's all over the gap here. He's kind of the one just defending on his own sometimes when Chelsea's having them off days. So, yeah. I mean, he'll figure it out. Um, and yeah, you, you bang on Chelsea. I've got a lot of options and a lot of options that can do different things. They've kind of got some players where you look at him and you can't place him on, like, in your head like, where am I going to put that player and what's he good at? You kind of got your, your Havertz and your Mount where they're just brilliant players, but you kind of don't know what to do with them and that's maybe yeah. what Tuchel got wrong and what Potter can get right is 
adapt because that's what he did at Brighton. He used to change his system every single week depending on who he played against. So that could be something that makes Chelsea a real threat. Yeah, definitely. And like I stated before, we've got the players to do it. And and Potter's, I fully believe he's going to, he's slowly but surely he's going to make us into a very difficult team to beat. And 100% what you said about Thiago Silva, it's not going to, Rome wasn't built in a day. And uh, at this moment in time, anyway, he's our best defender. So he doesn't go out of the team anyway, but still playing for Brazil. Most capped ever player for Brazil now after the recent round of fixtures. So credit to him. He's just about to go and play in a World Cup. But Jim, we're talking about Potter and his ideas and systemically having versatile players. But a player that actually has signed a pre-contract agreement today, Christophe Nkunku from from RB... My man's one. RB Leipzig. Yeah, my man went... I was like, which one is it? <laughs> it was RB Leipzig. No, you're right. It is. Yeah. So Christophe Nkunku signing for Chelsea on a pre-contract agreement. Obviously, he did a secret medical if you follow Fabrizio Romano in September, which was quite strange that leaked last week. And then it's leaked today from David Ornstein from the athletic that actually has signed a pre-contract agreement and Potter will have his hands. He'll have his mucky little paws all over this gym. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll be spending his off time kind of watching and and uh, thinking what he's going to do with him. Um, he's got to get some plans for him. If he's, if he's got Chelsea going to splash the cash on him. And I mean, I've seen this lad once in the flesh, actually cook and, um, Hat-trick. Where have you got a hat trick? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most bizarre hat trick ever. I mean, you like this, but. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 5 3 down, he shushed our fans, which I thought was so funny. Yeah. Um, Fuck yeah. you. I think, I think it was like 3 0, and then he scored a minute 3 1, and then he went 4 4 1, and then he went 4 2, and then we went 5 2 up. And then he got his hat trick and he just went over. And he actually was like near me when I was in the crowd. He just shushed everyone. He was doing it to you directly. <laughs> Why has he got beef here? He's probably thinking, nah, he's just confused. He thought away goals still counted as two. <laughs> it was like the 90th minute. <laughs> but, but you know what? He, he took some of his goals well. And I mean, watching watching him that day, he looked like the only player who was kind of good enough to like, battle out with C and a player that we got. Everyone would have looked at him and thought, yeah, but he's just buying bound. Um, so, yeah, good yeah. to have him in the Premier League if he comes. And I'd see what he can do. So, honestly, I'm not actually sure why he does that much. I believe they've seen that once against City, like I said, and he scored that trick. But he seems to score a lot when you see, isn't it? You see, you seem to see his name a lot, don't you? So, we'll see what he's like. And I'm sure you'll be keeping more of a, a closer eye on him this season now you kind of know that he's coming. Yeah, 100%. And just to get a few of his figures at the moment, he's he basically came through the Paris Saint Germain Academy. And this was in a time where they already had the the investment from Qatarius is 2016. And then he goes to Leipzig, plays as a box-to-box midfielder. Every year goes higher up the pitch. Last season, he finished with 20 goals and 13 assists, playing almost as a false nine for, for Leipzig. And I think he goes and plays up front for Chelsea when he inevitably arrives because that's what we're lacking. And I feel like that's what he's been bought to do. He's currently got six goals in eight league games for RB Leipzig and I believe the fee is roughly about £60 million which is his buyout clause so I think even if again if he's rubbish it's chump change for, for Chelsea that and another gamble on a number nine and I think try something different because I think it'll be quite a sought after player Okay listeners 
Welcome back to the podcast. Unfortunately, it is that time of the episode where we have to love you and leave you. But it is also the time where I'm going to tell you where to find us when we're not making podcasts. So if you want to find us on Twitter or Instagram, you can do so by using the handle cookiepodcast1. That's cookiepodcast followed by the number one. You can find us on TikTok just searching with the handle the cookiepodcast. That's T-H-E cookiepodcast. We're on YouTube in clip format. So searching on that, just type in TCW, TCC, podcast clips. We're on there in clip format, like I've just said. And yeah, pass the podcast. Give us a five-star review. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them. And tell your friends, recommend it, because the more eyes we get on the pod, the higher we move up the rankings. Then we can get some big boy cash, and then we can make podcasts and quit our jobs and be millionaires. And then playing the YouTube 11. That's the dream. Wow. Us and speed. Me to meet Kyle Dragon is the dream. Honestly, you can meet Kyle, I'll meet Speed, and we can shoot <laughs> together. <laughs> Suey. But just been me and Jim this week. It's been another episode of everyone's favourite podcast, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Is it?